Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Meiske. Hello, Sample Chapter listeners. Welcome to episode 199 of the Sample Chapter Podcast. Holy cow, today I have quite the special guest. Star Trek, 24, 4400, Aquaman, Joker, Hallmark. <laughs> the list goes on and on. I am speaking with the one and only Kevin Dilmore. Oh my gosh. I was so thrilled uh, getting a chance to talk to him uh, several months ago at Planet Comic Con Kansas City. I uh, ran across his booth and we, we just, I, I, I guess the way I, I would want to describe it is we kind of just really hit it off talking about 80s, talking about our books, and then I was telling him about the show, and he couldn't wait to come on the show, and uh, you know we were able to make it happen. And the conversation you're going to hear today is just, just gold. I mean, that's really the best way to describe that, is this is just gold, because everything he talks about, it is just so much fun to listen to, you know, all of his great stories, including... His story, you know, mentioning I mentioned Hallmark a second ago because he works for Hallmark and he does all kinds of work. He has a story about a C-3PO Hallmark keepsake ornament that he did, and you won't believe the story that goes with that. We're also going to be talking about his many other writing endeavors and how, you know, his him following his following and pursuing his love, uh, the things that he really wanted to write for, and just sticking to it and trying it out how that led to uh, a pitch and an interview and next thing you know he's writing fiction for star trek um we're going to hear about how he and his partner dayton moore began their writing relationship and and so much more there is just more going on in this kind con- in this conversation in this interview that i can talk about in just a quick intro at the beginning so Stay tuned for that interview. It's coming up here in just a couple of minutes. Well, as for me, I'm uh, I'm doing better. I'm doing uh, actually really well. Recovery is going good with the knee. And uh, I've got outpatient therapy going on now. Um, exercising and, and uh, rehabbing it really good. I can go up and down stairs. So getting back here in the, in the garage office, which is nice. <laughs> um, doing some really good writing lately. I mean... You know, not to toot my own horn, but I'm really enjoying everything that I'm writing right now in Bandit 2, and uh, that's coming along really good. And, uh, you know, just uh, overall, life is really good. Um, still still asking for your thoughts and prayers for our family member who is having a lot of trouble with their cancer diagnosis. Um, it is, we've discovered that it is terminal, so... You know, this is, uh, I, I don't know, I mean, what, what can you say to that, you know, when you find out something like that? But um, still, um, he's, uh, you know, the, the, the family member's in good spirits uh, most of the time and, and uh, soldiering on and uh, just such a great person. So I uh, appreciate all of your thoughts and prayers and um, for him, and um, I'll make sure and pass that on. Uh, but meanwhile, everything else is uh, going pretty good. Marching on to uh, episode 200 coming up next week. Uh, we got a great episode for you. Unfortunately, uh, you know, I just decided we're going to, this is just going to be another episode. I just don't have the time and with everything else going on, I just don't have the time to put a, uh, a good uh, thing together for giveaways and such. But, uh, you know, rest assured, the show is not going anywhere, so uh, who knows, maybe at episode 250 or, or even 300, we'll do another big celebration or something like that. Um, along those lines, we have renewed our sponsorship with my favorite sponsor, Scrivener Writing Software. Oh my gosh, they are they're just incredible people, and uh, you've, you've got to try them out. I mean, the, the things you can do with this software... From breaking down your ideas into separate chapters or even just ideas, different scenes, and then to move them around to come up with a character bio and whole background about that character and places and then how you can move it all around and see what belongs where. Such incredible stuff. 
Hey, check out this advertisement to find out how you can save 20% on the regular desktop version. Jason here. Hey, I wanted to take a moment and tell you about my favorite writing tool, Scrivener. Now, I know you've heard about Scrivener because their writing software has been embraced by hundreds of thousands of other writers like you and I, from the novice to best-selling novelists. The reason we all use it is because of Scrivener's core concept to bring all the writing tools you use together in a single application. And with tools like automatic backup, character maps, project goals, and let's not forget that amazing corkboard, you can see why I use Scrivener every day. As a bonus for Sample Chapter Podcast listeners, use code CHAPTER for 20% off your desktop version. Scrivener Writing Software, built by writers for writers. All right, thank you again to Scrivener. I love that software, and I love those people there. They are, they're really some fantastic people, and uh, <laughs> they've, really, they've really blessed me with... Uh, you know, this long partnership that we've got going on. And uh, I, I hope you go and try it out because they're fantastic. Well, hey, I also want to thank Writer's Block Coffee for being an affiliate of the show. As an affiliate, that means you click the link in the show notes, go on over and use coupon code SAMPLECHAPTER and save yourself 10% on your order. And by doing that as an affiliate, I get a little something extra. I get a little kickback for the show. And, uh, you know, that goes towards production costs, uh, my time, all that kind of stuff. And it helps out the show is what it does. It really helps out and uh, it allows me to, to do more things for the show uh, here coming up. And uh, we'll, we'll see, you know, maybe maybe what I might need to do is I need to do a giveaway and uh, give out some samples of some of this coffee because I think that's something people might like sometime. <laughs> Well, Writer's Block Coffee has three incredible flavors. There is the signature blend of Writer's Block, the Deadline Dark, sure to wake you up at any time of the day or night, and my personal favorite, the Whiskey Barrel Aged Blend. You can order one at a time or set up auto ship so that you never run out. Hey, make sure you click that link in the show notes and uh, don't forget your coupon code sample chapter to save 10%. I also want to thank my friends at Pop Goes the Culture Podcast, uh, that network over there, home to about half a dozen other shows, the uh, Two Deads Review, the Multiverse Tonight, and of course the flagship show, Pop Goes the Culture Podcast. Uh, Joey Mills is the head of that show, and uh, man, what a great guy. And uh, I got to be a guest on the show, and that episode will be dropping here sometime really soon. Uh, it's going to be part of his uh, upcoming Christmas episodes so as soon as i know that that episode's available i will let you know uh but what you can do is go on over and subscribe to pop goes the culture by clicking the link in the show notes and uh find out for yourself you can follow it there <laughs> so make sure you click in the link to uh to check that all of those shows out well hey everybody um i think that is enough for now let's get on over to our interview with the incredible Kevin Dillmore, and hear all about this exciting new book that he uh, just finished working on right before this interview. Let's check that out. Hello, Sample Chapter listeners. Welcome back to another very exciting episode, one that I cannot wait to share with you. Uh, this week, we are speaking to the one and only Kevin Dillmore. Kevin was a newspaper reporter and longtime contributing writer to Star Trek Communicator magazine before breaking into fiction writing. In addition to novels and short stories, both solo and with his writing partner, Dayton Ward, Kevin also contributed to the author interviews in 2003's Star Trek The Signature Collection releases. Uh, Kevin's stories have also appeared in anthologies, which include Native Lands by Crazy 8 Press, and by day he is now a senior writer for Hallmark Cards in Kansas City. Ladies and gentlemen, help me welcome to the show, Kevin Dillmore. Thank you. That's You You did your research. That uh, was, You were covering stuff I'd forgotten about. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I try to do my best and you, you've got so many uh, so many accolades and things that you've done, and it was ah. hard to put it all together in one one spiel there. That's why I lost my place. <laughs> uh, well, it must be a uh, I'm, I'm paying my PR people well, I guess. So, <laughs> I, 
I have had a lot of fun opportunities to uh, to write, starting with my uh, newspaper career at a uh, twice weekly in, uh, um, in a town south of Kansas City, uh, and that publication was the Miami County Republic. And while I was working at the Republic, I also was writing for Star Trek Communicator and other um, magazines, and also started with uh, the first short fiction in the Star Trek universe that I'd written with Dayton um, that got our writing partnership started back in the year 2000. So it's been, it's been a, a bit of a run. I'm, I'm, I'm very blessed. I'd say so. Yeah. I mean, you've really taken hold of the reins and, uh, and run with it. And uh, you, you've done really, really well, well uh, with your opportunities. This is great. You're kind to say, thank you. <laughs> so now how, how did you, how, what was that like? You know, how was it to go from newspaper reporter to fiction writer uh, making that jump? That's, you know, and it's, what's funny is that uh, um, originally when you talk, when you say what was it like to go from newspaper reporter to fiction writer, I actually ended up kind of doing reverse when I was in college and uh, taking, I was at the University of Kansas majoring in film studies. I also was taking a number of creative writing classes, including three different fiction writing classes under uh, professors there. And my fiction writing three class was uh, taught by uh, Professor James Gunn, the, um, the, like the professor emeritus of all science fiction <laughs> in who uh, uh, unfortunately uh, uh, died earlier this year. And I have uh, had uh, the opportunity to write science fiction in his class, which was, and ended up with an A for the semester, which I still count as one of the high points of my career. <laughs> but my, uh, my original intention was to start um, doing some creative writing, maybe even dabbling in screenplays and doing pitches and just kind of, you know, hitting the bricks as a creative writer, I was interviewed by the uh, by a staff member of the KU student newspaper, the University of Kansas, about being a comics reader. This would have been in the uh, fall of 1986, and um, and I the experience just kind of shifted me. I thought, you know, maybe what I want to do is write for journalism. Like I didn't realize there was an interest in people reading about popular culture. So I thought I'll just stay at KU, get, pick up a second degree, uh, do some writing on the side while I'm here and learn how to become a journalist. So I went from you know the, the fiction writer I aspired to be to the journalist that I still count myself as with a you know occasional contributions to uh, to that form through hallmark and then back into creative writing it's just it's just kind of you know i can't decide which side of the fence to stay on <laughs> oh my goodness so what was uh, what was that first uh, big break then once you got into it uh, what, what was yeah. your first uh, big story I think I think the first, um, you know, well, I covered some fun stories at, at uh, KU, and I don't know that I ever had anything that uh, um, you know hit the Associated Press wire or anything when I was a college journalist or when I was a, a newspaper journalist uh, the whole time at the Republic. I mean, we covered some stories that had a little bit of profile, but the, I think the thing that unlocked my path away from traditional journalism into more pop culture journalism would have been just my interest in Star Trek Communicator magazine. I had been a reader for years. I was a, a big fan. This all predates the internet. So if we wanted to find out something that was going on in the world of Star Trek, we needed to go to the source. And the source was the regular publication of the official Star Trek fan club that was started by Dan Madsen following the uh, announcement of Star Trek, the motion picture. Mm. And I wrote them a, uh, a story pitch. And oddly enough, this would have been uh, uh, around the time that Professor Gunn had been recruited by a former student of his 
who was serving as the Star Trek editor of the line for Simon and Schuster, that would be John Ordover, um, and recruited Professor Gunn to write a novelization of an unproduced teleplay by Theodore Sturgeon. And the book and the teleplay were called The Joy Machine. And so I thought, well, this is it. This could be my path. I know John, the editor. I know Professor Gunn, the writer. I can interview them both. I could write this up for the uh, communicator. It certainly held my interest. I figured it would be interesting to other fans. And so I wrote a pitch. And at the time, I faxed it to, because that's how we communicated back then, (laughs) junior leaguers. Um, And uh, um, it wasn't, I don't remember how long it was, but I got a faxed response. And the response was a form letter that was a very polite, but clear, you know, we, we got plenty of stuff to publish in our magazine. Don't what makes you think we're looking for this. And I was like, Oh, well, shoot. I just, I didn't think that through. It wasn't too long after that, that the actress Chase Masterson, who had a, um, a recurring role as Lita, uh, who worked in Quark's bar um, on Deep Space Nine, the TV show and the setting. And she was in Kansas City for a convention. And it turned out she was going to be in Kansas City for a second convention within like, I think it was like eight weeks. It was a really short window. Mm. And so I spoke with her and asked her if she would be interested when she was back for the second convention if uh, if she'd be interested and available uh, to have some time for me to interview her for a prospective magazine story. And she was very gracious about it. She said, absolutely. I, I think it might've even been the first time that she was the subject of a feature story for a magazine because the show wasn't that old. I thought that beca- the only reason that she'd be coming back to Kansas City so close was that maybe she had some ties here uh, maybe she's got family or she's got a Kansas City connection I wasn't aware of. And it was not at all the case. It just was sheer coincidence. She came to one convention. The second convention invited her back. She said, OK, so it all worked out. And it was uh, I remember the interview was on Valentine's Day. And I'm trying to remember now if it would have been maybe around 1996 or seven. Um, I'd have to look at I'd have to try to look that up. And we had a great interview. I wrote a story, a feature story about her and her experiences on Deep Space Nine and, and you know, her career to date. And I faxed that to the communicator. Kids, this is not how you pitch for a job. I did, I, that, is, that is the wrong way to do it. Um, but, uh, um, but I wrote the feature story and I faxed it to them and I said, this is available if you guys are interested. If I don't hear from you um, within a week, I'll assume that you're not interested and I'll uh, you know, try it somewhere else. I thank you for consideration. I'm a big fan of the magazine. I'm a longtime reader of the whole deal. Uh, sent it away and didn't know if I'd ever hear anything. It was less than an hour had passed and I got a phone call personally from Dan Madsen, the publisher of the magazine. Wow. And he had said, um, we like this, we want it, and what else do you have? And that started a years-long collaboration with me uh, and the communicator. Um, I believe that my first story ran in, you know, I'm going to say that it ran in a magazine in 1997. I don't know that that's right. And I contributed to almost every issue that was published. There was here and there, I missed one with at least one story through the end of the magazine's run in 2005. So that was, that was quite a thing. And then during the course of my career on the magazine, I was approached by John Ordover, who I'd already mentioned, because he had an opportunity to have Star Trek fiction um, on a, uh, an exclusive, I mean, was, this is uh, um, Star Trek fiction that was written specifically for reading on the Microsoft e-reader that was bundled with 
various um, kind of digital assistants. Uh, the one that I remember specifically that we were on um, was uh, the, oh shoot, I just went blank on, I say, I remember it specifically. And then <laughs> I forgot what it was. It wasn't a Blackberry. It was a, a Palm Pilot was what it was. And um, I, uh, John said, we're going to introduce, the, uh, we're going to announce this fiction line called the Starfleet Corps of Engineers. The only way you can read it is through ebook. And this would have been in uh, the 90s when it was brand new. He said, would you like the exclusive? We're going to announce it on StarTrek.com. You can announce it in Star Trek Communicator. And I want to give you the exclusive. I said, that's terrific. Um, in the course of interviewing him for the fiction line, I ended up pitching to John an idea for the line itself. You know, I just said, hey, well, you could do a story like this. And he said, that's exactly the kind of story that we want to do for this. <laughs> And I asked if uh, I could formalize a pitch, and he said yes. And I immediately called Dayton Ward on the phone, um, who I had not known for long at that time, because I knew he was an experienced um, Star Trek fiction writer. And I said, I got myself into a big mess, but uh, it was a, a little less... Uh, um, a little more colorful language <laughs> at the time. And I said, I don't, I can't do this by myself. Um, would you like to jump in with me? And he said he very much would. So we pitched it. And when they read the pitch, instead of giving us one story, they doubled our word count and said they would like us to make it a two-parter. And so we did. And that's how we got connected to Starfleet Corps of Engineers, which led us to our first paperback original novels for Star Trek, which led us writing all the way up into the last, uh, not final novel, but the most recent novel that we've written together, which was uh, now five years ago, was the uh, novel that was published in September of 2016 as part of the 50th anniversary celebration for Star Trek. So over the course of our, you know, um, 15, 16 years of doing that, we ended up in what I think is probably the the highlight of my Star Trek writing career, to be the co-author of the book that they put on the stands to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the show. That felt like a big deal. Oh my gosh, yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah, that was great. And the story I skipped over that um, generally people want to know was how Dayton and I connected in the first place. And that also was through the communicator. Dayton was among the winners of a Star Trek fiction writing contest, which at the time, and even now is still, um, it's, uh, it is kind of unheard of in the circles of writing for licensed properties. Uh, you know, they, people want to keep uh, those properties buttoned up. They don't want to necessarily put their characters and their intellectual property in the hands of inexperienced writers. But John Ordover had convinced the, you know, I mean, I think it was Viacom Paramount at the time at CBS now that, that governs the license and had said, you know, I want to have a contest. I want people to write short stories and I want to publish an anthology. And they, they trusted him that he wasn't going to publish anything that would cause problems or that they could go in and tweak stories if they did cause problems. And Dayton made the cut for uh, the contest. One of the rules of the contest was that you could have no few, you, you had to have uh, fewer than three professional sales because this was going to constitute a professional sale. So Dayton entered the first contest and won a slot in the anthology and sold a story. Uh, he entered the second contest, won a slot in that anthology. He entered the contest for Strange New Worlds 3, won a slot in that anthology. And at that point, he disqualified himself because <laughs> he had made his third professional sale, which means that he couldn't play anymore. Mm -hmm. But at that point also, John had invited him to pitch a novel idea, um, which he did in his first book that he'd uh, written for Star Trek on his own was called In the Name of Honor. 
uh, and it was a, it had some Klingons in it and all the fun things. So Data and I, when I interviewed him for Star Trek Communicator magazine and a story for the first Strange New Worlds anthology, we, uh, um, like, like he enjoys saying, he said, our wives at the time were just so excited we found someone else to play with and we wouldn't <laughs> drag them to our silly stuff. So it was, I mean, we started going to conventions together, movies together, comic book shows. And so, of course, when I got myself in a bind, when I had a chance to pitch a story, I needed to call him. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's fantastic. It, was, it, it is serendipitous, at least. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. So now whenever it comes to writing within licensed properties, because you've got the bulk of it, I can see, is, is in Star Wars, or excuse me, Star Trek. Oh, don't want to make that error. Oh, my goodness. Uh, it's Star all the Trek. Same. It's all the same. <laughs> but you've also got the 4400, and um, yeah. I believe there's some, is, isn't there some X-Files? Uh, you know, it's, we haven't written X-Files together. Uh, the, the, the licensed properties that we've written together, and and we've worked on some separately, too. I mean, Dayton's written a book um, for the TV show 24. Um, I uh, um, have written through Hallmark Cards, where I'm a senior writer. Mm -hmm. I've written uh, children's books for... Um, uh, DC Comics properties, uh, Superman and, and Crypto. Um, I've written an Aquaman book. Uh, I've written a Joker book. I've done, uh, um, you know, I mean, so I've worked with proper, and then of course, you know, just even something as small as a, as a greeting card or a script for a uh, um, keepsake ornament. I wrote a script for a keepsake ornament that was. Uh, Kind of C3PO and R2D2 making sure that kids didn't peek at presents underneath the tree. <laughs> and the way it, which was, and it was a lot of fun to write, but the way things work, um, and, and I believe they still work this way, is that um, whenever there's a recording opportunity for C3PO, uh, Sir Anthony Daniels, who portrayed 3PO in all of the movies, uh, is given the right of first refusal to do the performance himself. Mm -hmm. And he read my script and said, yeah, I'll take this one. So I got a chance to hear his recording session. He was actually in uh, the UK working on, I want to say The Force Awakens, when um, he, he got into a recording booth. They tapped us in by phone and I got a chance to hear him record uh, C-3PO's dialogue that I had written for the ornament. And that was oh, quite wow. a thing for me. Um, so we've all had, I mean, we've, we've, I mean, between the two of us, we're probably looking at, I would imagine close to 10 licensed properties that at least one of us has written for. Well, is there, is there a process to get into the mindset of that property? Like to get yourself ready for, okay, I'm going to create this world for this story that, uh, that you're about to write. The, well, the number one process is to immerse yourself in the property. I mean, I would mm -hmm. never want to try writing, a, say, a book on the 4400 if I'd never seen the show. Yeah. Um, when we were approached and offered the chance to write, to, to pitch an idea for that license, um, and which an idea that they that they took, um, Dayton and I were both watching the show week to week. We were fans. So that worked out well. Yeah, the number one thing that I would suggest to anybody who's interested in writing for properties is to immerse yourself in the property. You want to be able to uh, come up with story situations that feel right for the property and right for the universe within, you know, that uh, that you're going to set your story when you're doing your story. You want to make sure that uh, characters speak the way they sound on television, the way, you know, I mean, they, their behaviors, you, you would not have a character do something that felt um, off for, you know, I mean, we've, we've been, you know, watching, uh, you know, Mr. Spock in uh, however many episodes of Star Trek, he's, you know, probably, you know, not going to uh, walk onto the bridge drunk and uh, grind a cigarette out on the captain's chair or something, you know, I mean, you, you know, you don't want to try to, you know, to, to sneak something past and, oh, they won't notice this. This will be a great character moment. Well, no, that doesn't work. But uh, uh, that to me is, 
is the uh, trick because you want to be able to tell a story that feels like it fits for a fan. Um, I think Dayton would say the same thing that one of the greatest compliments we can receive when someone reads one of our books is this sounded just like, you know, I mean, when I read Captain Kirk's lines, I could hear William Shatner's voice. This felt like a great episode of the show. And that's what we're aiming for. If we wanted to write something different, we would write outside the light, that, that particular license. If we wanted to tell a story that didn't fit within the world of, uh, of Star Trek. So um, yeah, but that's just know your property. And, and, and I think it helps not only just to know it, but truly to be a fan. Um, I'm sure that there are plenty of people who um, for whatever reason found themselves in a place where they didn't want to say no to a writing opportunity, especially a paid writing opportunity. And they might write a book for a television show or a series of movies that they don't especially enjoy. I'm, I, I think that absolutely shows up in the writing. And if it doesn't show up in the writing, it shows up in the ideas. It just, oh, we'll have them just do this and it'll be fine. And fans will think it's, well, you can just, I, I think in my years of reading a lot of uh, tie-in properties and, and I've always been interested in that since I was a kid. I mean, I enjoy speculative fiction, you know, that tell original stories, but when, you know, I always, if I had a choice between a science fiction book by a writer I knew, but a story I wasn't sure about, and a book by a writer I didn't know, but it had Superman in it, well, I'm going for the Superman book. You know, I mean, it's just <laughs> the way I always was wired. Um, and uh, and so, yeah, I think that you just, you, it, it shows, you can tell when something feels off and it's not quite right and you don't know why, I, I think you could probably trace it down to this is a writer that uh, was um, less than interested or maybe even a little uncomfortable uh, working with the property. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Well, now, <clears throat> after so long working uh, amongst there uh, in, in the licensed properties, you have been branching out into uh, different worlds uh, with the, uh, like uh, your upcoming High Noon at Proxima Centauri, and uh, yes, one of the one of the books I've got here in my hand that I picked up from you at, at uh, Comic Con. The it came from the multiplex '80s Midnight <laughs> Chillers, uh, which I'm sorry I haven't read it yet. It's just been oh right my on gosh. my desk. I, I picked up so many books that weekend, but uh, Jason, you, you <laughs> oh no apologies. My mom doesn't read my stuff, so um, <laughs> you, you can get away with it. Well, it's, it's interesting to see that you are, it's like you're kind of branching into other worlds now. Uh, would that be accurate? We, well, absolutely. And we've all, we have never turned down the opportunity to, uh, you know, to play in a uh, writing universe. We've had some, and, and we've had some really fun uh, chances. I think the very first time that we were offered a pitch, um, you know, and I offered a chance to pitch to an anthology, a short form, you know, short story anthology, was a Star Trek anthology for the print series that was not based on a TV series called New Frontier. And we, the, uh, Peter David was uh, working with the anthology and he was the person responsible for writing the series. And he said, Everybody gets a shot at, um, you know, a character. You can tell a, you know, any story you want about these characters. Um, the only thing, the only rule that applies is that your story has to be set at a time before they entered Peter's writing world. So he doesn't have to worry about what's going on in my story when he comes up with an idea for one of his, and that's absolutely mm. respectful. So I was offered a chance to pitch and I started thinking about my idea. And then uh, Dayton had asked me if he said, you know, have you heard about this new frontier anthology? I got a chance to pitch. And I said, Oh, well, I got a chance to pitch. And we came up with this great master plan. It's like, this is terrific. We're going to both pitch and whichever one they take will write together. 
I said, awesome. That'll, that's, that doubles our chances of getting in. <laughs> well, as, as luck would have it, we each got in. And we knew we couldn't co-write two stories. So Dayton looked at me and said, hey, it's your pitch. You're on your own. I was like, whoa, okay. So um, we have separate stories in that in that anthology, and we've done that before, also in other Star Trek books, uh, other um, our uh, Star Trek Vanguard novel, Declassified. I have a story, and Dayton has a story. Fantastic. But we've had chances to write for yeah. The, I mean, there's a uh, we've written essays. There's a uh, Star Trek book of essays that is called New Night, New Life, New Civilizations. That is a history of the uh, of Star Trek in sequential art, which is just a you know more fancy name for comic books. And Dayton wrote his essay about Star Trek appearing in a run of comics, and you know a certain run. I can't, to be honest, I can't remember what run it is off the top of my head, but you know, like a, say it was a, a DC run that took place between episode, or Star Trek Two and Star Trek Three or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I wrote about every place that Star Trek appeared in a sequential art story that wasn't a comic book. So that meant give a show projector. That meant the sides of Happy Meal boxes. That meant coloring books. That, you know, I mean, and all these places that Star Trek comic stories were told, but it wasn't a comic book. And that was a lot of fun. Um, you know, we've uh, got uh, uh, essays in a uh, book about Star Wars called A Long Time Ago, and Dayton's essay is about introducing your your kids to uh, the Star Wars universe. And mine is about the Ewok movies that were made for TV. So, you know, we there, there are books that we appear in together that we both just wrote separately. But uh, what we've been doing lately, especially uh, during... Uh, the uh, time we've had, uh, you know, in the days of the pandemic is uh, finding short story anthologies and uh, trying to worm our way in. So it came from the multiplex, gave us a chance to write a story that was set in the 1980s in a movie theater that is days away from being closed by its owner for good. uh, And uh, a strange you know, a teenager concocted ritual in the basement of the uh, um, of the theater that was intended to put a curse on the owner of the theater that was forcing it to close accidentally releases a ghost that has been haunting the theater that wreaks havoc, um, you know, um, uh, you know, around the kids, which was a lot of fun. Um, we've written stories for the Pangea series. There are three books in that, and we have short stories in those. Um, there's uh, a series that we've written for called Redeus that is uh, set in a world where every you know, major god and minor god in any pantheon you can imagine all returns at the same time and kind of divvies up the earth and says, okay, you know, I mean, we're in charge of Rome again. You guys are in charge of the Great Plains. And, you know, so all our stories are uh, set with, you know, kind of mortal interactions with gods of various pantheons around the world. So, you know, we just you never know what you're going to get asked to do next. Um, we have had a, uh, a story in a pulp anthology that uh, centers on the sidekicks of a, imagine the, the, uh, um, uh, if you're familiar with the shadow, you know, the yeah. operatives that work for the shadow yeah. or the blue blazer regulars that work for Buckaroo Banzai. We wrote a story about uh, <laughs> two guys that work for a superhero that we created. That was kind of, you know, a little bit like the shadow. And uh, so, yeah. And, uh, and, and you had mentioned the uh, short story that we just finished just hours ago mailed the (laughs) final version to the editor of the anthology yes and that's high noon at proxima centauri b what can you tell us about this that yeah that's the name of the anthology uh it's going to be it's uh it's it is a story or is an anthology filled with space westerns that was uh, uh solicited by david boop 
who we have known for a long time um, as uh, a fellow author and a uh, um, uh, regular uh, guest at Starfest, a convention, family-run convention in uh, Denver, Colorado, that we, Dayton and I, have been uh, guests at for, I think, uh, we're coming up on I think 17 consecutive years we've gone to that show, um, which as guests, which was, which is a lot of fun. So um, we were invited to basically take the tropes and the ideas that fuel Westerns and come up with something that feels like a science fiction Western story. Um, We'd never written anything like it before. Uh, We had a ton of fun. Uh, I got a chance to, uh, I think, I my immersion into the Western, at least to try to kind of, you know, just uh, prime the pump, if you will, on uh, getting back to it. Because I'd read, I grew up in Abilene, Kansas, and old Abilene Town was a real life thing. And, and while mm-hmm. the Hickok was actually our sheriff, I mean, it's these yeah. characters that, uh, you know, that feel larger than life that were true, uh, truly living people. Um, you know, I was you know, pretty familiar with growing up. I mean, it, Abilene's got a weird history with not only as the cow town, but it's also the, the, the boyhood home of uh, Dwight Eisenhower. So we've got a presidential library there that focuses not only on his uh, uh, two terms as president in the, in the fifties and early sixties, but, in, but also his, uh, uh, his work as the Supreme commander of the allied forces during world war II. So yeah, it's, it was a great town to grow up in as far as history. So what I did was I uh, watched a couple movies. I also uh, read uh, short stories, uh, westerns by Elmore Leonard, um, because that was just I mean his economy of words and the um, just just so rich with voice and mood and it just the just the kind of thing that I really wanted. So. Uh, uh, so that was a lot of fun. So we came up with a story, and our story is called Past Sins. And um, and it, if you would like, I've got it here, and I could read the first scene. Is that what? Is that something you that I I think you were building up to that, but I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. Uh, well, first off, let me just thank you, uh, Kevin, so much for coming on the show. This has been a real delight for me getting to hear oh. your history and, and everything about your career. This is, uh, this has been a blast for me. Oh, well, thank you. You're very kind. It's, uh, I was, uh, ever since we, uh, met at, uh, Planet Comic Con and you had, uh, expressed an interest in, uh, in chatting, I was, I've been looking forward to it. So I appreciate being invited on. Uh, it's my pleasure. I, yeah. I've been looking forward as well. Where can, where can people find and follow you? You know, the, the best places to track me down are uh, Facebook, um, which I will admit is uh, going to be a uh, kind of a, a, a soup of messaging with my high school friends from 40 years ago uh, <laughs> or uh, commenting on uh, popular culture or, you know, promoting projects that uh, that are you know that come to market as they come to market. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. Um, I will uh, you know probably uh, um, you know that that that's the the less savory part of me where I might you know uh, be frustrated by something in the news and uh, voice my frustrations. So uh, um, you know I mean yeah I mean uh, you know. What's what I'm trying to think of the parental guidance is suggested. <laughs> so uh, yeah, but those are the two places in uh, social media that I uh, that that I play the most. And anybody who is really trying to track me down and uh, and can't find me on Facebook or Twitter, you can always track down uh, Dayton. Um, he uh, you know, he can be found at DaytonWard.com. He has a blog that is called The Fog of Ward, W-A-R-D. He uh, um, also is on Facebook actively and on Twitter actively. So if, uh, if you can't find one of us, you can probably find the other one of us, and we know where the other guy is. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> and of course, ladies and gentlemen, I'll have links for that in the show notes so that you know right where to go. You just click that and find one of those uh, on there at least. 
Terrific. Well, and and just just to uh, manage people's expectations, um, because what I'll be reading is the first scene of the uh, story Past Sins that Dayton and I wrote together. And um, if you're looking to finish it off, um, which bless you, I, I would encourage you to finish it off. I think that it only gets better from here. Um, but the, uh, the book, the anthology that will contain it, the High Noon at Proxima Centauri B, will be coming out from Bain Books in the fall of 22. So you're just going to have to either you know, commit this to memory or uh, hold your horses until the fall and reread the whole thing again. There you go. Well, then, without further ado, time for me to hand the floor over to my guest, Kevin Delmore, with Past Sins, a short story from High Noon at Proxima Centauri B. Terrific. Thank you very much. Sheriff August Jeffers never was much for fights, especially those that disrupted the atmosphere of the only place in town with food and drink he thought was worth a hot damn. He entered the Alamo Saloon, the ping of the doorway sensor detecting the sheriff's sidearm and tipping Smitty the barkeep to his arrival. The older man looked up from his duties and silently pointed to the scuffle in the back corner. When Jeffers saw who was involved, he would have bet his badge right then and there that this wouldn't last long. A broad-shouldered man wearing spacer's coveralls took a wide swing at a similarly addressed woman about a head shorter than he was. Her dark hair waved as she bobbed, deftly avoiding what looked to Jeffers like an ill-considered punch. With jackrabbit speed, she jabbed her fist into the man's throat. He gagged, pitched forward as the woman grabbed his head and pulled it down to drive her knee up under his chin. He sputtered, grunting in pain before falling backward onto the saloon's dusty hardwood floor. The scuffle over, the woman took a look around the place until her eyes met Jeffers. Laying someone flat, he asked. Far as I've seen, Milo, that's a first for you. Crossing the room toward her, Jeffers smiled as the woman tugged a Windsor wooden chair from a mismatched square-topped table and sat down to a plate of eggs and fried potatoes that Jeffers could see was still steaming. He'd get in the way of your breakfast? She spoke around a fork full of eggs. Ask him, Gus. Was it his imagination or was she trying to hide what? Nervousness? Agitation? Uh, Jeffers regarded the man lying on the floor, which bore a few spatters of blood from what the lawman figured was a bitten tongue or a split lip. Even though the poor lug likely would stay unconscious until Myla finished her meal, Jeffers pulled a pair of shock binders from his belt and cuffed the man's hands behind his back. That done, he gestured to an empty chair at Myla's table. She shrugged noncommittally, and he lowered himself into the seat. How are them eggs? Runny, she said, prodding him with her fork. Jeffers turned toward the saloon's long mirror-backed bar and hollered at the mustached worker behind it. Smitty! The shout startled the older man who set down the glass stein he'd been drying with a rag before hustling toward him. Sheriff, he said, sidestepping the man on the floor. Whatever happened, I'd say he got what was coming to him. Thanks, Smitty. I don't need you to vouch for Myla. Jeffers pointed to her plate. Just bringing some of what she's having and not so runny. Oh! The barkeep started to reach for Mila's plate. Miss, if you're not satisfied with, it's fine. Mila waved off Smitty without looking up from her plate. Something is bugging her this morning, Jeffers thought. The two of them had crossed paths plenty since her arrival planetside, and in that time cultivated what he would call a friendship. Their interactions were pleasant, with he always suspected what he actually knew about her was only what little she allowed. Myla tended to use words sparingly and to keep to herself, qualities Jeffers wished more people around here might display. She would often hit the Alamo for a drink or a meal to close out her shift as a systems tech at the spaceport docks, and many of their interactions amounted to little more than a respectful nod and passing. The most significant conversations they'd ever shared had taken place after someone new to town reckoned they would get a little handsy. On those occasions, like today, Jeffers had seen the speed and skill with which she showed such newcomers the pained errors of their ways. Hell, his feelings about her over time were good enough that he tried luring her from her job on the docks with an offer to deputize her on the spot. 
He'd done it more than once. She never bit. Jeffers watched Myla eat while shifting her focus between her plate and his face, shooting glances that he'd seen before, ones that felt like she really didn't want him around. He sensed she was eating, not because she was hungry, but more to make all this feel normal. Jeffers decided to press into that. This guy's got you rattled some. She kept her eyes on her plate. No more than any others. You've seen enough of what happens around here. That I have, Jeffers said. He didn't follow you in here from the docks or anything? She shook her head. So he's fresh off of a passing hauler or something and just put himself with you where he didn't belong. Mila stayed silent, pushing away her nearly finished plate. So Jeffers continued. You don't like the cut of this guy. So maybe I don't either. Ordinance says I can jail her out of town or for two days for disturbing the peace, attempted assault, and general assholery. That's your call, Sheriff. Jeffers reached into his pocket and then placed his hand closed palmed on the table. He let go of what he'd been holding, a silver star-shaped badge. Or you could pin that on and we both run him in. Myla slid her chair from the table. This game isn't funny today, Sheriff. Excuse me. She rose and made her way at a brisk pace out of the Alamo. Sighing, Jeffers retrieved the badge just as Smitty arrived at the table with a plate of eggs and potatoes as ordered. Thanks, Smitty. Hope I can eat these in peace before our problem here wakes up. The ladies left us, asked the barkeep. It appears so. Smitty cleared his throat. Then I'd like to report a theft of services, Sheriff. Jeffers sighed again before taking a forkful of eggs into his mouth. How about you just put her breakfast on my tab and we'll skip the report, okay? All right, everyone. That was Kevin Dillmore reading the opening scene of Past Sins, which is a short story coming out in the book High Noon at Proxima Centauri B. Once the book is available for pre-order and I get the uh, the cover available, then I'm going to add the link in the show notes. So whenever you're listening to this, make sure you check the show notes because I can update this anytime. Don't forget to also click those links for Kevin and everywhere to follow him as well as Dayton and Bayon Books since you know when that book is coming out. Hit the links for our sponsors, affiliates, and podcast friends. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button so that you don't miss out next week when I'm back with episode 200 and an all-new sample chapter. <laughs> Take care, everybody. We'll see you soon.